Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode. I guess, kind of, not really, of the Pixels for Breakfast podcast. It's good to be back, joined by Blue in video form here. Uh, so yeah, hello everyone and welcome to the Pixels of Breakfast podcast. This is going to be a bi-weekly show where we take a look at the more interesting news beats and talk about the games that have captured our interest in recent times. I'm your host Steve Haller, former game journalist for Game Informer and The Escapist and a bunch of other places, former game developer at Fellow Traveller. And joining me is my co-host Blue, former developer at Giant Margarita and community manager of Near Reincarnation. How's it going Blue? First time in video, how do you feel? You are muted, my friend. Oh, no, you're not. It's just delayed. No, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, and um, just a a bit terrified, but that's completely fine and normal. It's totally fine and normal. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I Um, guess let's let's just get right into it. Um, Now, for those who don't know, we are live streaming this on YouTube. You can come and view us at youtube.com forward slash pixels for breakfast if you're listening to this on your podcast feeds. Um, and the, the video version does have trailers and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, uh, check it out if you're feeling like that might be your jam. But we're going to kick things off pretty light today uh, with you know an announcement of some indie games that I think were, were pretty cool and a bit surprising. So this, uh, the developers behind Shadow Tactics, Mimi Games, they also developed uh, Desperados 3. They actually announced a brand new game and it's called Shadow Gambit The Cursed Crew. Uh, this actually looks super neat. So it's kind of like, basically it looks a lot like Shadow Tactics, um, but you're playing like a band of pirates. And like the story is that you've, you're living on this ghost ship that has a living soul as you sail across the seas. And it's got kind of a bit of a dishonored sort of vibe to it in terms of like this, the masks and this sort of, I don't know, not religious iconography, but you know, a little bit of that sort of stuff. And, um, your little crew has a bunch of different powers really dig the art style of this. I think that, uh, you know, this studio has proven themselves time and time again. Um, I know Shadow Tactics is hugely beloved, but uh, yeah, did you have any thoughts on this one, Blue? I'm pretty pumped for this. It it doesn't look like indie quality. It looks yeah. super rad. Yeah, it's definitely a step uh, up for them, I think. Uh, and the gameplay that they're presenting, I really thought it was uh, co-op at first. Like, that's how seamless i guess it, it feels this is a complete single player game from what i can understand uh based on the steam page listing but you control multiple characters at once and it has the g- generic stop time planning phase thing but it it seems to work out very well it's very it looks very satisfying just uh set your your i think you can run a crew of three at a time set your three characters up to do like simultaneous actions and everything just clicks like it's it's it looks good. Looks very polished. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a lot about positioning and setting up combos of like, okay, if I use like this power here to, you know, teleport up onto that tower and then drop a, a body down, like that sort of thing. It definitely has uh, a lot of that sort of combo play to it, I think. Um, but yeah, I think you're right in that it just looks like a huge step up for them in terms of visuals. It's got a lot of color, which their previous games haven't had a lot of. Um, and it yeah. will be coming to Xbox and PlayStation. I don't mm. know. I think Desperados maybe did come on console, but I don't think Shadow Tactics did. So it sounds like they're going for a bigger swing this time um, based on their previous successes. So that's always, you know, pretty cool to see. Yeah. 
But yeah, so uh, I know that some people in our community will be very, very excited about that one. I personally am also pretty keen on it. Um, but Blue, do you want to start introducing us to this next uh, game that sort of came up on your radar? You were just kind of wanted to talk a bit about the trailer, I think, because it gave you the, the warmer fuzzies. Yeah, <laughs> it's a... Uh... So this is uh, Exceed's latest uh, story of seasons, previously known as the series Harvest Moon. It is a this is so odd of a thing to say it's a stardew valley like game <laughs> but stardew valley like copied harvest moon right like or or not copied but like is inspired by harvest moon so it's, it's a bit kind of like backwards referencing but yeah it 100 is just a farming ranching um life sim but in the more like fuzzy sense of like hey here's you know this farmer and and you go through this life and Etc. Etc. Uh, it's a bit more. I believe the Harvest Moon games are always a bit more um, rigidly um, paced with a linear kind of like sequence of events that will happen. You obviously still have a lot of freedom for how you manage the farm and stuff, but you will get story beats according to uh, you know whichever game you're playing. And this one particularly caught my eye because instead of like, how do you market a cozy farming sim game, right? And Exceed chose to go with the gorgeous paper craft storybook aesthetic. Um, and it looks great. It absolutely looks amazing. And it goes on for a while. Yeah, I it's like you're showing you seen, getting yeah. old and sad and makes me think about mortality, which mm. makes me not want to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's, I just, it's super unique. It's it's better than mm. your your standard trailer, right? Like they've definitely gone yeah, gone outside mm -hmm. the box to try and sell what this game is trying to sell, which is like a, I guess the I idyllic life uh, as a farmer, mm. right? So yeah, um, yeah, just pretty uh, neat. And yeah, absolutely, just a neat trailer. Just wanted to highlight that. Uh, I also suspect it's a one take, as in I not in one take, but like it's no cuts. The trailer doesn't look like it was cut at any any point, um, which is pretty impressive. Like it's it's like running a papercraft thing for like a couple of minutes back uh, straight out, and not getting any mistakes in the in the recording. And yeah, looks great. Uh, check out the trailer at the very least. And if the game looks, uh, if you like farming sims like Stardew Valley, uh, Harvest Moon was the series that inspired it. Probably worth thinking about at least. Yeah, I think like it's important for. You know, to think uh, people listening to this who maybe don't know us, like we 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 are developers uh, first and foremost, um, but we both have worked in games marketing, and like it's pretty rare that you see something that's kind of unique um, to yep. to sell a game. And I think you're right; this really does just create a sort of vibe, and it doesn't show any gameplay at all. But I feel no. like I know exactly what I'm going to be doing in this game, and that's always super neat to see. I hope so. I hope it delivers on the vibe. Because yeah. it, it, again, a trailer, you never know. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of vibe, Hi-Fi Rush. Mm. Now that is a vibe. So uh, I think it was last week, Xbox did their first yeah. sort of developer direct. I can't remember the exact name of their thing. I actually didn't watch it. Um, but the, the folks over at Tango Gameworks shadow dropped uh, Hi-Fi Rush, which is this very colorful comic book style rhythm game where every movement is driven by the beat of, of the music. Um, and 
I think rhythm games are definitely coming into their own again. Like we had Metal Hellsinger just really raise up the charts last year. We had BPM as well before that. Like there are different rhythm games coming out. I think the big thing here is just to see that the folks behind The Evil Within and Ghostwire Tokyo, like the masters of horror, just made this super colorful, super just... I really just want to live in this world just by watching the trailer. I haven't even played it yet because you and I are going to check it out next week. Um, but yeah, if super you cool. put the game in front of me and told me it was... And asked me which studio, I would not pick Tango. Yeah, like, right? In a like, million years. Yeah. Not even just from a, a, a uh, you know, um, a tone piece or, or the style mm. of game. It's just like completely different to anything that they've ever touched. Um you know, as a studio, maybe not individually. I don't know. Maybe they have some folks that worked yeah. on on Res or something way back in the day. Um, and that could be why a game like this exists, right? Just uh, yeah. a diverse pool of talent that you want to make the most of. Uh, what's really heartening in the trailer is that they're not shy. They're not afraid to show you a lot of different game gimmicks. Yeah. It, you know, because you, you say, oh, action rhythm game. What does that mean? And you can tell from uh, the main gameplay sequences that you have a little uh, rhythm counter next to your character, and it seems pretty obvious that, yeah, if you match that rhythm counter, you do better in the game. But they also have a lot of just straight-up, you know, other rhythm game nods slash homages in the gameplay trailer, in the launch trailer, which is great, because you want a bit of um, kind of variety in this kind of game. Yeah, and I think what's really cool to see, like, when I think of, like, rhythm games that aren't, like, Guitar Hero these days, like, I think of, oh, they've got, like, some sort of industrial um, soundtrack that's kind of their own sort of thing, like, um, Thumper is the one that always comes to mind, right? Um, But they're, like, coming out, like, yes, it has its own original soundtrack, but it's also got, like, the Black Keys. It's got Nine Inch Nails. And I guess that's kind of what you get when you're with Bethesda and when you've got Microsoft money behind you, right? Um, So, yeah, I'm just... I've purposely stayed away from anything outside of that main trailer um, just because when we jump into it next week, I just kind of want to be surprised. Um, But I'm a huge fan of Tango games mm. maybe not so much ghost wire um i appreciate what they're, they're trying always to do a bit there. Jank. yeah always a bit jank yeah. but always love yeah. the ideas behind them so just whenever a studio really steps out of their comfort zone to try something new like i'm just super excited to you know get behind it good or bad and just you know applaud studios for taking those risks i'm super curious how long this was in development because ghostwire tokyo isn't that long ago yeah uh, it doesn't it doesn't feel like this was Ghostwire Tokyo. This doesn't feel like post Ghostwire Tokyo. This feels like this was in development, maybe towards the end. Maybe the design team could start had started on this at the end of um, Ghostwire's development cycle. Yeah, uh, I honestly don't say. know how big their studio is. Um, I know just from did, would not have thought it was huge. No, and I, I do know um, that just from viewing LinkedIn. Like for instance, Kojima here in Japan, like Kojima Productions, mm. are constantly recruiting. Like always, yeah. huge turnover. I've never. I think mm. I've seen one job in three years for Tango. So um, mm. either mm. they've got really good retention rates, or they're not just hiring up a lot of uh, talent over there. Um, maybe they're just the perfect size for what they need to do. I also think they contract a bunch of work, but I don't remember where I heard that. So yeah. 
Um, but yeah. sticking with Bethesda, we got another look at Redfall during the same event. So this is the next game from Arcane Studios and Bethesda. Um, and there's a lot of confusion around this game. So it was first shown off as this kind of like Left for Dead, but with vampires thing. Um, and mm-hmm. then you know, the preview cycle that happened just recently is like, actually, this is a lot more like Far Cry 2 with emergent storytelling. Um, you know, I saw a lot of people talking about the grenade rolling down a hill from the idle thumbs. Classic bit is kind of what's happening here. But watching um, watching even this gameplay trailer, I'm even now more unsure what this game is. And I think that's the the big thing for me with Redfall. Like, I'm, I'm interested in Arcane's games. Um, I think it's kind of cool that, hey, well, we got this thing that's not zombies, it's vampires. I love four-player co-op games, but I'm not even sure if it really is that. Um, And yeah, I'm just really confused by what we saw here. But they are showing off a lot of the game, which means I think we're probably likely to hit the May date, which is what they said. I'm just looking at this story. May 2nd. May 2nd is is the release date. It'll be coming to Game Pass um, and it'll be launching for PC and Xbox. It's going to be an exclusive title for them. Um, but yeah, like, what do you make of this game? I mean, it's not super in your wheelhouse, I guess, but. I was actually quite excited when I first saw the, I think it was a Game Awards trailer when they first uh, revealed it. This mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of The Division, the first one, where what it actually is, is that you have an open world and then you have to travel between hubs and then you have story missions. Which yeah, is totally. what? It seems like it. They they're in the trailer. They hide a lot of travel, because obviously mm-hmm. it's slow to walk around. So the amount of cuts that they have in the gameplay trailer lead me to assume that yeah, the open world is a substantive part of the gameplay, and then you have guns on the other side of it. Uh, the classes and stuff look super cool and interesting. I got a bit turned. I was actually the most excited of the games we had in the lineup. Or Redfall, but like looking at it, I got a bit disappointed when I saw that it was a looter shooter. I did not realize it was a looter shooter. I don't know why I didn't realize that. Yeah. But that normally means that there's going to be a massive disconnect between the gun feel and yeah. just the numbers in the back. Yeah, exactly. You, there's normally no good way to reconcile that. Guns are going to feel like the level that they are, not what they should feel like. A shotgun can feel like a shotgun or it can feel like a level one gun and like there's <laughs> no there's no real middle ground between the two uh in my yeah. opinion yeah at least so it's gonna be super interesting i think yeah i think like uh, it, it does look like the world that they're crafting out here does look pretty pretty like compelling it's the characters that we're getting in these trailers that i'm not super like i don't know it's yeah. Maybe I'm just too old school for like the Left 4 Dead style characters, but this just feels a little too snarky um, for for the kind of world that we're seeing around the characters as well. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that's been a point of contention for a lot of games recently. Uh, maybe one that I think you want to talk about at the back end of the show. Um, but yeah, regardless, like I'm always interested to see what Arcane will do. And this definitely seems like a much bigger in scope game for them. than anything they've done yeah the the, i think the developer is carrying a lot of weight of expectation here yeah uh you you should expect quality out of arcane the only like real catch for me is that arcane have done single player experiences really tightly 
and multiplayer and looter really really messes with that balance yeah so and that's the thing like it does sound like you like the the structure of the game is like there are different districts and you're taking out underworld bosses which then takes you to like the real boss um as you unlock those districts sounds as you said division sounds very ubisoft um is arcane able to create enough content to make that compelling are they going to fill this with a lot of filler content to just make sure you and your friends have enough stuff to do? Um, and if they go that route, like I think that's a huge disservice to the worlds that Arcane we all know are capable of of making. Whether you like their games or not, like Dishonored and, and Deathloop and Prey are all fantastic right. worlds that feel like they're lived in, right? Um, yep. I, I'm just a little concerned. Are they padding this out with just shit content, right? Yeah, you have this idea of a, relatively speaking, tight narrative life of arcane games to me. They feel like um, going on 20 hours kind of mm-hmm. thing where you can probably complete the game much sooner, but there's at least 20 hours of content to like explore and see the world and learn, right? But when you're making a what seems to be live service game, if you have looter shooter in it, mm-hmm. that's like... You, you're suddenly trying to push the 20 hours to like 60 or 80 for just the first few months before your first content drop. That's a lot more content. And they're already talking about procedurally generated dungeons mm-hmm. uh, in the gameplay trailer. So I don't know. This, 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 is a, this is a very big, we'll have to see when it drops kind of thing. Um, just based on the original trailer I saw, I would have been willing to give it a try straight up on launch with this there's a couple more red flags that go off in my head for like what i like personally and don't like personally mm-hmm. but i think it still looks promising it's arcane right yeah i mean i am i gonna pick it up on launch day yeah because it's on game pass cost me nothing right well mm-hmm. i mean it does but you know what i mean um very easy yeah. to jump in and then also those expectations are, are lowered a little because it's not a hundred dollar price tag if i you know dislike the game um but yeah it's just it's going to be interesting once again I applaud a studio for for trying something that's outside of their wheelhouse but i think you're right that that arcane name definitely brings a lot of expectations and like to be honest i'm just more worried about fan backlash <laughs> like if the game's bad the game's yeah. bad right whatever but i can imagine the rhetoric around this if it does launch and it's not you know perceived to be enjoyable by the fans of the studio i think a big deal for a game like this with so much going on in the back end will be how smooth the gameplay experience is. Um, a lot of things will be smoothed over if you can just get in and play. But if it's going to have servers and stuff like that, um, that's risky. Yeah, well, I'm already seeing a lot of... Yeah, there's a lot um, of eyes on this, yeah. A lot of people talking about it, it does require an online connection, even if you're just playing single player. Um, yeah. That the, the progress the is only saved on the battle. host player's instance. Yep. Um, yep, which, yep. you know, that never feels good if you are trying to progress through a tech tree or whatever. Together. Yeah. Or even just the story together, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there is a story, so they say. So Redfall hitting this May, still not entirely sure what that game is, but I guess we'll find out pretty soon. Uh, speaking of games that have copped some flack, uh, Warhammer 40,000 Darktide hasn't had the smoothest of launches. Um, if you check our Discord, certainly there's some strong opinions about it. Um, but 
yeah there's some issues around the game and uh, i think it was a week uh, maybe a week and change ago the developers actually released an open letter aka twitter jpeg um, i'm just gonna give a quick read of this uh, to our players, we take enormous pride in our ability at Fat Shark deliver a game that millions can enjoy. This was what we set out to do with Warhammer 40,000 Darktide, to create a highly engaging and stable game with a level of depth that keeps you playing for weeks, not hours. We fell short of meeting those expectations. Over the next few months, our sole focus is to address the feedback that many of you have. In particular, we will focus on delivering a complete crafting system, a more rewarding progression loop, and continue to work on game stability and performance optimization. This also means that we will delay our seasonal content rollout and the Xbox Series XS launch. We will also suspend the upcoming releases of premium cosmetics. We just couldn't continue down this path knowing that we have not addressed many feedback areas in the game today. Thank you for playing and providing feedback. We really appreciate it. It has and will continue to help shape the game we love. So for those who don't know, the game has launched with massive stability issues on PC, game optimization issues where like, you know, even I've got a 3080 and can only get the game to run barely at 50 frames sometimes. Um, you know, there's huge issues with that. Crashing, crashing to desktop, crashing, uh, you know, service crashing. And then for players who have managed to get through the progression issues, there's just basically no end game to speak of. Um, Fat Shark have a huge history of supporting their games long, long term. Um, so I don't think it's a case of will they, it's just when. Like, I definitely do have faith in this developer, but it's really, it's really disheartening to see this happen to them because this game had a huge, it, it was like the big thing for them, right? Like they did Vermintide, it was kind of niche. Vermintide too, you know, spread across Twitch and got a lot of free promotion and people were like, oh, this game's got like a really cool loop, but it's Warhammer, you know, whatever. Put some guns in there, all of a sudden it feels like, oh, people are excited about this one and all the previews are really great. Um, so to sort of have it kind of fall apart at, at the final uh, push is, is a little sad. Um, and then also just those who are waiting to pick it up on console, are still going to be waiting even longer. And I do applaud them for, you know, making that decision, you know, focusing on what they've already got out there rather than adding another skew into the mix. But um, it's going to be hard to see if they can recover from this for for current player base. I would, I would not be surprised if they lose a lot of those players that are, you know, kind of at the end of the tether with the game right now. It's so hard to get players' attention back once you put a bad foot forward. Yeah. Um, and it, this is very unfortunate to see because it looks like the game has a lot of potential and promise, but it doesn't matter how well your game loop, how good your game loop is, if you know one out of four people are disconnecting in your game every five minutes, which yeah. is the level of like stability issues that we're talking about here, and like that's not fun to play. As someone yeah. who's played games like that before, it's just frustrating and very deeply unsatisfying because you know even if you succeed you you know that player that keeps disconnecting doesn't get a good experience out of it yeah it's it's you know it is what it is for what it's worth i personally am having a lot of fun when i am jumping into the game but i'm also not dumping like i know snark from our community or jenks they've been putting like 200 hours into this game right so they have a very mm -hmm. different opinion to to me who runs it you know as a casual fun game um but yeah mm -hmm. hopefully uh they get it back on track we'll we'll be checking in with that game over the uh 
over the coming months. Um, so blue, this this kind of took over all facets of the internet uh, over the last week or so, okay. and it, yeah, and it did. It, it brought some ire. It brought some controversy. It brought a, a company taking a massive step back. Um, I'm going to let you take the lead on this because I'm not hugely across. But uh, tell me about Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. and the open gaming license. Yeah, so this is super interesting as a thing as a a quick background uh, rundown if you're not familiar with what happened uh a few weeks ago now a leaked draft of an update to the open game license dropped on the internet and what the open game license is is the way that dungeons and dragons was licensed to be used uh in the public space which was initially set up in i want to say the year 2000 so it's been quite a while since it was out there and what was tentatively called um ogl 1.1 was leaked out onto the internet which means that it didn't come with an official statement from wizards of the coast and dnd and it was horrible it, it looked bad to everyone who was looking at it because what it was going to do was potentially penalize anyone that did anything unofficial with D&D. It meant that the systems um, in D&D were going to become proprietary, which is very not open game license. And, you know, there's a lot of legal um, legalese here that I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know how to parse specifically. So forgive me if I make a you know slight semantic mistake here. But the gist of it was that they would be able, that Wizards of the Coast would be able to just crack down on anyone that they didn't like content for. This was quite concerning because it meant that any homebrew that was potentially that people wanted to run online, any, you know, just slight alteration to the system, all of that suddenly became very suspect. So there was a lot of backlash to the leaked 1.1. And then... I think they, a lot in, of backlash is an understatement. Like, uh, it, the internet was on fire. Like, people were not yeah, happy. Because yeah. businesses are on the line, right? Like, people have set up entire, like, businesses around creating content for this system. Yeah. Uh, and to to that point, like, players in the field, like uh, Paizo, were seeing this as an opportunity to say, um, we want to, we will step in to fill the void if if this goes through the way it, it might. And Paizo are the people behind Pathfinder, and they wanted to take this opportunity to put Pathfinder into the Creative Commons. I think that was the goal. And, you know, basically usurp D&D if it got to that point, which is possible. Because Pathfinder was a very popular alternative to D&D back in the, I think, 3rd edition era going into 4th edition. A lot of people were still on Pathfinder because they didn't like what mainline D&D was. Long story short, they eventually got to the point where Wizards of the Coast released a survey and the feedback was so overwhelming about what they what people didn't like that instead of going forward with a revised 1.1, which they were calling OGL 1.2, they just walked everything back and they said, yep, we get it. You don't want us to do anything. We're leaving OGL 1.0 the way it is. And in fact, what they added on top of that was they, uh, Wizards of the Coast was going to release the systems reference document or SRD into the Creative Commons. So before you now, go on. Now, despite the name. 
just before you go on, I want to read the stats of their player survey. So they surveyed yeah. 15,000 yeah. people. Uh, this is in their official statement. Um, for anyone who, yep. who is interested, I've dropped it into the live chat. But the, the stats are 88% do not want to publish TTRPG content under the new proposed OGL. OGL 1.2. Yep. Yep. 90% would have had to change some aspect of their business to accommodate the new rules. 89% were dissatisfied with deauthorizing OGL 1.0. 86 were dissatisfied with the draft VTT policy. And 62% are satisfied with including the SRD content in Creative Commons. And the majority of those who were dissatisfied asked for more SRD content in the Creative Commons. So that's pretty overwhelming. Like we absolutely categorically uh, are going to riot if you push this through. Yep. It's and a huge number. It's an interesting it's an interesting problem for them because sure, they're the rights holder. At the end of the day, they can do whatever they want. However, if people stop making TTRPG content on the internet under DD, that is basically losing millions of dollars in free advertising for them which I don't think they can afford to lose at this point. <laughs> because if you weren't aware, Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro, which is in a bit of a bind at the moment. It, like Their company stock is not well regarded at the moment. I remember a statement late last year of Wall Street advising people to just not invest in Hasbro. Which you never want to hear that as a, as a public traded company, no, right? <laughs> no, that's horrible. And, you know, Hasbro's huge. It's not just Wizards of the Coast that they have. They, Milton Bradley, Parker Brothers, all of that is under Hasbro. So they have a very, very wide net. However, they've leaned heavily on the digital arm mm -hmm. uh, across the past two years. I wonder why. Um, so, yeah, this is a very interesting thing that's happened here because... They claim to have had good intentions with OGL, with the revision. Um, there's a statement from them from January 14th that said uh, they wanted that one of the reasons they wanted to do these, to make these changes to their license was number one, to prevent DD content from being included in hateful and discriminatory products. Number two, to attempt um, to block attempts to use DD in Web3, blockchain, and NFT games, uh, NFT uh, pursuits. Uh, by making it clear that the OGL content is limited to tabletop role-playing content like campaigns, modules, and supplements, etc., etc. There is a statement of good intent and goodwill, but it's so hard to take that at face value if you know that their parent company has been pushing for massive revenue adjustments, right? <laughs> so, I don't know. This bought them back a lot of goodwill, and this will potentially scupper uh, attempts like paizos from usurping dnd as a household name 100 percent. this will mean that anyone who's already working with dnd this is everything they wanted and more probably that they're getting out of this deal so why should any dnd content creator walk back any of their decisions right we'll we'll have to see what happens but there doesn't the language they use doesn't seem to leave any room to think that they're getting up to anything weird. Yeah. Um, despite the name being the open game license, it's not open. That's why it's important for that last thing that they said, which is including the systems reference document, SRD content, into like inducting it officially into Creative Commons. That means that 
once they do that, there's no walking that back. That SRD is now out there forever. Uh, th this obviously only covers anything that, as far as I understand, anything that's out now. So if they make a D&D 6th edition, which, you know, I, I assume is in the pipeline somewhere, that may not fall under that. But still, it means that all the stuff that they use to build the base system is out there for free forever. Mm. Which is really cool. Yeah, and like yeah, as again, you said, I don't see if there's a way to be like underhanded about this. So. Yeah, as you said, the language they've used is very like final. Like the the quote mm. here from the the post on their blog is, "Here's a PDF of SRD 5.1 with the Creative Commons license. By simply publishing it, we place it under an irrevocable Creative Commons license. We'll get it hosted yeah. in a more convenient place next week, but it was important that we take this step now, so there is no question." Like, it's there, it's done, you cannot take that back, right? Um, will that stop them from, later down the track, trying to work out another way to get money out of people? Of course not, they're a company, right? Um, but the interesting, thing yeah, the, the, the interesting thing about this is that, as a player base, the pushback was so catastrophic that it, it shows that the player base of D&D has a lot of power to this company, right? especially like a company that is flailing right now, like their parent company is flailing. They don't, they need to generate revenue. Um, and usually when a company is in this position, they just don't listen to the fans and weather the storm. They buckle down. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think for me, like it wasn't super surprising that they were doing this. It was more surprising that they walked it back pretty quickly yeah. too. And 100%. so strongly. Yeah. Uh, there is precedent for them not doing this because the other thing that was the coast was responsible for is Magic the Gathering, and that is continuing its path. It it is in a very self destructive loop at the moment, and in fact, the Wall Street Journal's advisory was based on discussions with uh, long term collectors of Magic the Gathering cards that the company is devaluing collectability at the moment mm -hmm. with the, a lot of the um, sets that they're putting out. So. That on that side, nothing looks to slow down. So the fact that this was walked back, some very high up people in D and D pushed back against this, uh, on top of the community sentiment. Because yeah, that is overwhelming. Like simple, uh, not simple. What is it? What's the term? Like full majority is considered sixty six percent, and like we're yeah. seeing like eighty and ninety percent. Um, <laughs> you know feedback from 15,000 people which is not a, like that's a large sample size for people in your community willing to take a survey just saying none of this sounds good yeah yeah it's a big deal yeah it's a huge deal um but yeah once again like they've they've put it out uh to rest for now um i guess we'll check back in because i'm sure that this is not over um it'll be a few months though they won't do anything for a while <laughs> they'll be they'll be walking on they, eggshells they, for sure yeah, they need to let this die, basically. Yeah. So, um, but speaking of companies in hot water, this is not a company, <laughs> mm. but this is an event. Uh, E3 2023, the big comeback, the big savior of the games industry, was set to come back as an in-person event at the LA Convention Center. Uh, it was a joint venture between the ESA and new stalwarts of the event, Reed Pop, and IGN released a, an exclusive. 
um, you know, article uh, this week, earlier this week, um, which kind of set the tone for the whole <laughs> podcast episode, that uh, both Nintendo and Sony will not be part of this major show. And it also sounds like Xbox won't be either. Um, so, you know, it's we haven't heard a lot about what E3 is going to be. Um, I had heard a few things behind the scenes. I signed NDAs, can't talk about it, but um, hadn't heard anything publicly about any of these companies. Um, but yeah, apparently, according to IGN, they are not coming to the show. And they got Phil Spencer on the record. So Xbox is part of the ESA board. Uh, sorry, Microsoft mm. is part of the ESA board. Um, and, yep. you know, he's Spencer has always been pretty vocal about, you know, Xbox's support for not just E3, but the Entertainment Software Association, which is like the lobbyist group that pushes through a lot of laws for gaming in, in America. Uh, yep. The quote that he has here is, E3 is just, to me, one of the seminal moments of gaming. I love the history of going down to LA. Thousands of people there, getting to see great new things, getting to see people in the industry, the fan events that we've had. I definitely want that to continue. Xbox is on the board of the ESA, and I think a successful and healthy ESA is critical to what we're trying to do. So we place our showcase, like we always have done, at a time where hopefully it's convenient for the press and even consumers that are going to the E3 event, and that's what we're trying to do now. We will continue to work with the ESA in terms of their plans. As I said, we're on board, and we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can to help make E3 successful. So he's saying, yeah, we're going to do something like next to E3, but we're not going to E3. Like, that's what he's saying there. Um, yeah, and... You might wonder why they have to use that kind of language, and it's because the ESA needs to look united to be able to have any power to lobby any changes. Exactly. But this is definitely a statement of no faith in the event, E3. Yeah. yeah. At least that's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> like, So these, these you know, qu quotes started circling around, and then... Uh... You know, in the past, Nintendo, even though they started doing Nintendo Directs, they always had some sort of show floor presence. On the like, floor, yeah. Yeah, one year they did the big Zelda treehouse kind of thing for Breath of the Wild. Mm. Um, you know, they they always done something for their marquee titles. Uh, but apparently uh, the sources have been said that Nintendo is not holding any show space, uh, floor space at the event. And... Sony is not going either, and Sony, you know, famously pulled out of 2019. So they were like, nah, we're out as well. Um, and that yeah. kind of put 2019's show into a bit of a rut. Um, so, yeah, representatives have not been coming back, but there was a quote here. I just want to find it. The quote that someone, this source claimed, uh, speaking specifically about Reed Pop, who, for those who don't know, they run Comic-Con in America. They run all of the PAX events. Like, they're a huge events management. They run um, the Star Wars convention in Anaheim. I can't remember yep. the name of it. Might just be called Star Wars Con. Um, but there's not a good sense that there's an understanding what this show is going to be or how it will come together, which is strange from a company that does such an amazing job with PAX twice a year. Yep. Um, so that's pretty rough. That's a pretty rough uh, content uh, comment to come out of that. The ESA has responded a few days later. Uh, they said, as you have likely seen, IGN published an article last night about E3. While we're not able to comment on the specific claims in the article, we wanted to share our commitment to moving forward with E3. And then it's just like a whole bunch of flowery language about what E3 means to the industry and its rich history and yada, yada, yada. 
In selecting yeah, 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 Reed Pop yeah, yeah. as our partner, we have been able to tap into their rich history. Once again, they're saying that rich history line of hosting popular industry events like PAX and broader consumer shows like Comic-Con. They've made strong progress in reshaping the event and have received tremendous support from industry companies of all sizes who are not only thinking about E3 2023, but how E3 fits into marketing plans for 2024 and beyond. So basically they're making another PAX. Like that's what they're doing here. If none of the major... Yeah, none of the major platform holders are coming. It's a PAX. And that's what Pop does. They do consumer events and there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. But... I was always skeptical about how E3 can get off the ground again when streaming these live directs has just eliminated so much cost for everyone involved, right? If you're a journalist, you don't have to pay to fly there and neither does your company. You don't have to pay to fly there and get laid off by your outlet while you're covering the event for them, which seems to be the thing that happens at the moment, right? Um, If you're a company, you don't have to pay to get there and accommodation and food, same for... Uh, the you know the insane cost to have a booth at one of these places and then if you have a booth that actually has production value like we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars if not millions for some of them right like why do that when you can just do a pretty nice live stream from your studio for you know under 10 grand and get the same job done um and you know as a journalist which e3 was essentially set up for uh you know people that the the buyers at retail stores and then journalists like i can sit at home and watch the live streams and report live i don't need to be in a theater to do that it's far more convenient the thing that e3 is good for is bringing better views of everything as well exactly like in the audience you're stuck with the single perspective that you have whereas if you're at home you get the curated you know trailers Mm -hmm exactly and then like uh you know you have that whole thing the the thing that e3 is good for is bringing people together and the connections that you get just by happenstance and outside of that but that's happening less and less these days as well um yeah so it's just kind of like they're they're just making another packs and microsoft is going to be next door in the microsoft theater doing their thing and that's totally fine uh e3 I think had run its course personally. Um, and I don't think we need it back. We have Gamescom and we have all these other streams of, of access yeah. to studios, right? So this is super interesting, right? E3 was in a position like this, I want to say late 2000s, like 2008 to 2010, from what I remember. And at the time, it felt irreplaceable in terms of the big event of the year. But right now we have Gamescom, we have T- TGS, and we have... Oddly enough, the Game Awards as, you know, just this like weird amalgamation of game release information, teases, and and just media cycles. All of these events throughout the year also generate, in my opinion, the same amount of movement as E3 does, right? Mm -hmm. So with that said, what value are you bringing now? Speculation, this is complete speculation, but one of the issues that a lot of uh, companies have always had with E3 and the ESA, which is one of the reasons, if I'm not mistaken, why why Sony pulled out of the 2019 E3 is the cost of it. The ESA treats E3 as a business, as in they need to earn money off of people coming to showcase, not just attendees. And that might be higher than ever because they're trying to come back and trying to make up for two years, right? It's, yeah, it's it's very hard to say. 
what yeah. um the the r- real reasons are behind the scenes because it's clear that Spencer doesn't want to disavow the ESA and E3 but at the same time there's something that they just not willing to commit to there so and I bet it's money it's money because if if people are coming to the Microsoft uh stands in their own show they're there for Microsoft they're not there for anyone else right yeah yeah um so we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, I on... think the good news is that for the online consumers, for the average gamer, I don't think anything will change for us. If you're not planning to go to E3 physically, I think we're still getting every show. Yeah, exactly. Except maybe Bethesda, because Bethesda is now under Microsoft. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Like, I don't think anything changes for the for the end consumer. It's just interesting to see, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you, it's uh, a big deal. It's it's a big deal. It's an interesting deal. I didn't understand why they're bringing it back. Uh, I don't want things to fail, um, and hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it does find its way, but very skeptical to see what comes out yeah. of all this. Uh, speaking of failing, uh, I'm sad about this one. Rumbleverse is closing its doors. Yeah. Rumbleverse yeah. is it's the very, free-to-play very... Battle Royale fighting game from Iron Galaxy Studios, the team behind the Killer Instinct uh, reboot. Um, and a bunch of ex-Mortal Kombat devs. Um, yeah, season two won't be happening. It's been cancelled after just six months, uh, and it'll be no, going no, off. Season two is the season we're in, and that'll oh, be okay. the last one. Ah, sorry. Yep. yep, season two is the last one, and yeah, six months into release, they're they're shutting it down. Uh, I'll just give you mm-hmm. the quick uh line here that the the interesting thing is uh any player who has spent money on rumbleverse is eligible for a refund of money spent on or in the game this includes purchases of the battle pass or brawlhalla bills on any platform and we'll share a faq page with how to do that soon um so pretty big that epic because i think epic own i believe the game so. i don't I think they own this studio. Is an epic yeah. No, I believe Rumble versus an epic game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're throwing all the money back, so that is a good thing. But it was interesting to read Iron Galaxy's uh, personal letter here. Um, at Iron Galaxy, we believe very strong in the value of bringing people together to share meaningful experiences in games. Every single one of us is a gamer. It's what motivates us to create. With the announcement of the sunsetting Rumbleverse, we want to share a more personal note with the players who have joined us in Grapital City, which is the coolest city name. It's like Grapital City. It's just, <laughs> uh, For a wrestling-themed game, it's fantastic. Exactly, yeah. right? When you work on a video game, you imagine the community that will show up to play it someday. For years, we dreamed about a lively city filled with people fighting to become a champion. We strive to create a vibrant place that celebrated the competitive spirit. Our goal was to bring joy back to online gaming. The people who gave Rumbleverse a chance and took it on as a new hobby have validated every day that we put into bringing our ideas to life. We have loved watching you play. We have learned from your stories and your insights. We even passed around the art that you created to immortalize your best moments in the streets. It is our sincerest hope that this news does not mark the end of Rumbleverse. You may not yet have seen the Rumble in its final form. If we can welcome people back onto the deck of the Battle Barge once again, we hope you'll be there, laced up and ready to take your rightful place in the canon. Iron Galaxy will keep making games. It's our passion and our purpose. Our people are filled with skills and inspirations to keep the world playing. Thank you for playing. This is not the last you'll hear from us. This is not the last time we'll invite you to play. So, sounds like maybe they got the IP. It's so... It's hard to say. It's it's possible. It's possible that this is 
a move away from the live service format. Yeah, also and that true. they may be able to bring it back. Because from Epic's perspective, I kind of understand as well, right? Like, why do you want to have two big li uh, live service games going? Because the, the demographic doesn't seem to be divergent. Well, you know, yeah. I, yes, well, this is wrestling and fighting games as opposed to shooting, but like the style is very similar. The a lot of the mechanics feel similar as well. Not to mention they yeah. also own uh, Rocket League, also a free to play yeah. live service game, and they also own Fall yeah. Guys now. So, yeah, like those are much more divergent from Fortnite than yeah. the just battle royale, you know, kind of thing. So it's very hard to say it. This does scream of it didn't make as much money as someone needed it to make. And I don't know who that someone is. Tim Sweeney. But, <laughs> yeah. But beyond that, uh, you know, it's very clear that Iron Galaxy, like, fully, like, still believe in the game. And that's a sentiment that the community 100% has. Uh, obviously, everyone that I know that plays it was very sad to see this announcement um the the rumors had been circulating but i believe that there's going to be like some like lo big last hurrahs for the game i know of someone hoping to put together an unofficial but like big pot tournament mm -hmm. for um for rumbleverse coming up soon this is one of the content i know this from the fgc because the fgc loves um rumbleverse uh, at least a small pocket of it uh, and a big part of that is just the pedigree of the game the, the game feels like a fighting game to a lot of people uh and iron galaxy obviously with with what they did on killer instinct i want to like just highlight how amazing iron galaxy is for um this kind of stuff uh i learned of the lead designer adam keats from his time on killer instinct and he they brought a very interesting vibe to um to the to the you know, presenting a game to the public, to the mm -hmm. to their fans. I remember a Killer Instinct Cup where they just set up for three hours and they didn't tell people ahead of time, but they did a developer walkthrough with live demonstration of the upcoming not yet live um, patch to the game at that time. Mm -hmm. That's that I've never heard of something like that even until now where like the community is able to like give feedback live to the developers demonstrating you know changes to the game so they have this very healthy like communication uh as well because the uh, player i mentioned before the sorry the dev i mentioned before adam keats he actually like plays with some prominent fgc members live on stream so he like is a big proponent of the game which is really cool yeah um which, yeah, with combine that with the statement that they made, it does lead me to believe that they have something planned. Because it doesn't, like, Iron Galaxy statement doesn't seem fatalistic. No, nah, not at all. Which is weird and when the announcement is, we're sunsetting the game. Yeah, it, like, it's also, like, Iron Galaxy has a lot of clout, like, as a studio. They have a lot of, like, major industry veterans there. Uh, you know, yeah. Dave Lang is running the ship there, I'm pretty sure still, which is like one of the original Midway developers, right? So it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if they worked out with Epic, hey, we want to keep the IP and we're going to rework it's it. It's entirely like, possible. Yeah. I think uh, it's You mentioned Killer Instinct before and I did as well. Uh, as a small clarification, 
What they did was even more impressive than make it because they took over from Double Helix, which couldn't continue That's past right. season one of Killer Instinct. Yeah. So like, Iron Galaxy learned Killer Instinct and made a new character for the game in like three to six months. I don't remember the exact timeline. That's insane. Like yeah. that is genuinely crazy to like inherit and immediately put out a character. And a lot of this was due to the fact that Double Helix wanted Killer Instinct to succeed. So in the transition process, like Double Helix devs were in Iron Galaxy offices for like full work days, just telling their developers how the systems work and what to do and, and to get their, like to make sure this is the most hit the ground running that I've ever heard of a, of a handover before. Yeah, that sounds but insane. That doesn't change the fact that they inherited, learned, and put out a character on a system in just a few months. Yeah, which is unheard yeah. of, right? So, Probably goes back to their lineage it's, it's and understanding of fighting yeah. games of that era and what they were trying to do, right? Absolutely. So. Yeah, 100%. We're going to blast through this next section because it's all pretty bad news for Respawn. So <laughs> EA recently did a bunch of uh, did their revenue call and their outlook for the, the mm-hmm. year. Um, so first off, the rank is that uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor is getting a six-week delay. It'll be coming out on the 28th of April. Uh, the statement was released on Twitter. Uh, For the last three years, the Jedi team here at Respawn has poured its collective heart and soul into Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and we are proud to say the next chapter in the tale of Cal Kestis is content complete. We are now focused entirely on the final stage, bug fixes to enhance performance, stability, polish, and most importantly, the player experience. In order for the team to hit the Respawn quality bar, provide the team, uh, we need to provide uh, the studio continue, yeah, sorry. In order for the team to hit the respawn quality bar, they need to provide the time the time that the team needed and achieve the level of polish the fans deserve. They've added six crucial weeks to their development schedule. Star Wars Jedi will now launch on April 28. Wow, that was really hard for me to say for some reason. Uh, anyway, it, that's but, just yeah. that's just a hundred percent because the original game launched so buggy, right? Like they need to make yep. sure that this one is top notch, um, especially because the game was largely well received. So there's a lot of pressure around yeah. this one. Uh, landing uh but that wasn't just six weeks is an interesting time but yeah yeah that's that's enough time to get things polished but the other big news that was really surprising is uh apex legends mobile is cancelled um it's Mm -hmm. like being pulled off the stores right now um alongside uh battlefield mobile which i didn't know was was a thing um this is really surprising to me because here in japan like apex legends is like number one in the shooter space and is this mobile version was you know regularly at the top of the charts here on apple and android um a you know respawn released a statement saying that they aim to provide players with games that are consistently outstanding and following a strong start the content pipeline for apex legends mobile has begun to fall short of that bar for quality quantity and cadence so it's for this reason after months of working with our development partner that we have made the mutual decision to sunset the game uh so it's gone um but then the saddest one of all is that uh Apparently, according to Bloomberg, Titanfall Legends, which was going to be a single-player game that sort of bridged the gap between Titanfall 2 and Apex Legends, has been killed dead in the water. Uh, A lot of people, myself included, think Titanfall 2 is the greatest first-person shooter since Half-Life 2. Uh, So to hear that, you know, a potential follow-up to that has been canned, uh, 
doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel real sad. Um, you know, Respawn has become sort of, you know, uh, very quickly, all things considered, one of the the biggest, most revered studios in the industry right now in the AAA space. Um, so to hear that they have been hit with these uh, cutbacks from EA is, you know, it's not a good feeling. Um, it, it is what it is. Uh, but unlike uh, Epic, they're not giving back any money for any money spent in Apex Mobile because they're EA, so of course they wouldn't. Um, but yeah, that's that news there, which, you know, is it is what it is. It's a little sad. It's what it is. Um, cool. That was the news. That was a lot of news. That was the news. That was a lot of news. That was we a didn't lot of news. <laughs> it, we really didn't expect that much news when we put together the show, but that's where we ended up. Yeah, so... So the back half of this show is going to be pretty quick because uh, that's it's been a longer show than expected. So we only had a certain amount of time. Um, so I'm only going to talk about one game that I've been playing obsessively blue and it is XCOM Enemy Unknown from 2012, I think it came out. Um, yeah. What a video game. It's an game. interesting entry in the XCOM series. Yeah, what a video game. So like... I remember this game came across my desk when I was at MMGN. I was the PC editor, um, but it was mm-hmm. the Xbox 360 version that came along. I'd heard of XCOM, um, you know, mm-hmm. back in the old, old days of PC gaming, but I never played it. Um, and I remember watching the editor playing it on Xbox. I was like, this looks super cool. Like I'd never really played a tactics game at that point. Um, yep. So I got it on PC a few years later, played it for a couple of hours, you know, was doing other things, never really got back to it. And it's the Steam Deck's fault that I played so much XCOM. I've played 40 hours of XCOM in about three weeks, which is a lot for me. Um, yeah. So I, I put up my Steam Deck, like, this is going to be cool. I could just do one mission a day kind of thing, you know, playing it on the Steam Deck is kind of a nice way to do it. And suddenly I was doing like three or four missions a day and five missions a day and losing a campaign. And now I play it exclusively on my PC because I'm like a serious tactical battle person now. And I know that it sounds stupid, but like I am just so in on what this game is trying to do. And like I've played a lot of tactics games that came out a lot after XCOM, but like XCOM just does it so well the way that you can upgrade all your units. Um, they really interconnect with their abilities, like using the suppression on a heavy unit to then, you know, make sure your other units get that boost to, to hit rate. Um, you know, dice rolling memes aside, like the combat does feel super satisfying and is really challenging, especially to me, who's kind of fairly new to the genre. Um, no, I, I think XCOM's just challenging. Yeah, like, it's, it is. It's a hard game. Um, but yeah. I really just like the way that it it paces its story. Like, yeah. you you, we're so used to seeing like aliens coming down and just obliterating everything, and there's no hope, and there's always one guy that can just do it. And the way that XCOM does it isn't hugely dissimilar to that trope, but. It's the the forever spinning plates of keeping public panic down while still being able to research your upgrades. And progression of the story is tied to hitting those certain upgrades, right? So if you get too bogged down in making sure that everyone is in the green and not panicked and you're launching satellites and you're like keeping your, your soldiers healthy, then you're not progressing the story and you cannot keep it spinning forever. So that's just like failed campaign on the way, right? Yeah. Um, it I know this really isn't relevatory of- to anyone, but like to me, it's just been like this really amazing look into the past and just realizing that yeah. I don't like, I played Midnight Suns last year. Like, even Firaxis yeah. can't seem to make a game as good as this was, um, or it still is, I think. And I haven't even played XCOM 2 yet. So, 
It uh, it reminds me of the feeling of playing the board game Pandemic. Yeah, um, for sure. I can see that. Yeah, where it's just you have a lot that you have to keep going and you have to win in this certain time frame. And I think the pill that's the most hard to swallow for people new to the XCOM series is that you can fail the campaign. The game yeah. is not going to just let you walk back a, a crucial character death, for example, which is painful, mm-hmm. very painful, like on so many levels. Just you, you losing the wrong character at the wrong time means you, you're done. Your campaign's gone, right? Yeah. Yeah, yes, so. I know. I know far too well because that's where the first twenty hours of my playthrough went. But it, yeah, it was a and learning exactly experience, like, right? Yeah, yeah. Y- you walk away from that stronger. <laughs> I don't know if you're stronger. Yeah. So uh, you're, you're you're a changed human being walking away from that. Yeah, I think th- this is something that I've sort of taken on board with this playthrough. Right? Um, was. And and Mesmer actually mentioned this when we were talking about Fire Emblem on our Discord. Like, he recently played through um, uh, Fire Emblem Engage without permadeath because he's always safe scumming if someone dies that he cares about, right? And I think that's pretty normal for a lot of people. Like, to the point where I'm like, why do they even bother putting the permadeath in here? Because I think 90% of people want to say they finished the game with that mode turned on, but they're safe scumming the entire way, right? So... When I was playing XCOM, I was like, I'm not going to save Scum. Like, I'm just going to take it and what happens, happens. And then my first campaign, I was about 20 hours in. And, like, I think that... And, like, it's a bit of an era of, you know, tutorials weren't always great back then. But the game also wants to be hard and also had an inbuilt audience of previous XCOM fans, right? So, like, I didn't know what a lot of the facilities did. I put all my facilities in the wrong way. I didn't build in the right order to optimize. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had one battle where I lost, like... You just don't know. Yeah, I lost six, uh, all six, wiped all all my highest uh, members, and I just couldn't come back from it and ended the campaign. And old me would have cracked the shits and said, I'm never playing this this game again. Um, But... I took a day, I came back and like that second game, because of everything that I had learned, it's almost like Dark Souls or, or Elden Ring where you learn the pattern and then you know, like that was like, I could see the matrix almost. And like my second playthrough has been so much better until sort of the second second to last mission, like things started to get really hard again, but in a really satisfying way because I had the tools hmm. to deal with it now. Whereas when I first started the game, I didn't have those tools. I didn't have that knowledge. Um, And yeah, I've just found that super, super rewarding. Um, And it's definitely going to be, I'm, I'm literally up to the last mission. I'm waiting for my lunch break today so I could try and finish the game. Um, Uh, I might have to save Scummer. If I lose on that last mission, maybe I'm going to break my own promise. Um, but yeah, like well, it, um, call it alternate universe, right? Like yeah, exactly, right? Um, so I'm, yeah. I, I think I'll be chasing this high for a long time. And considering all the <laughs> other games, like I'm playing a lot of Zero Sievert right now because I'm working on a review for for the YouTube channel. Um, I'm picking away at Citizen Sleeper as sort of a light game, but XCOM is just the thing that just is completely unexpectedly grabbed my attention the first half of this year. Yeah, fantastic. What, what about you? this year wow you're further into the year than i thought oh yeah well look look i'm gonna call it now xcom's <laughs> my game of the first half of the year i don't think i'm gonna find Fair anything enough. else i like as much 
Uh, That's very I, fair. I'm gonna fight the temptation to just roll straight into XCOM 2. I think I need a I need a break yeah. from tactics, but I kind of want to do it. But maybe we could uh put that multiplayer mod on and give it a crack. Maybe. <laughs> uh as for myself, I have dedicated a not insignificant amount of time in the past three weeks, I wanna say, to curse up the dead gods. I I probably added 30 hours of play across the the, the few weeks here. Such a good um, game. It's really good. It's really, really good. And the timing of the game is just so particular. It was so hard for me to learn. I, I still screw up more often than not. But we're getting there. And I thought I was at the final boss. I, I was. I was at the final boss. But what I have very recently learned within this week is that there is in fact a hard mode of curse of the dead gods <laughs> so that's gonna be fun which makes perfect sense right because uh, i recorded the run where i beat the final boss of the the three temples i must absolve myself run. of sin i did not watch the video because i want to get there myself without seeing yeah the boss. Yeah, yeah yeah i i fully understand uh i just pass along in case you wanted to um but i had what i would consider an atypical build where i had a lot of capability to get life back and that's that meant that i could take a lot of damage from that boss and then like just undo that which is not how chris the dead gods normally plays um so at the end of a run the game will tell you which enemy dealt the most damage to you um, my maximum health in that run was 2,700. I took 4,000 damage from that boss, what? I think. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I got a lot of breathing room just from the way I built the character, which mm -hmm. is entirely the point of roguelites, right? That you can get these really overpowered builds, but only sometimes. Uh -huh. So I absolutely love Curse of Dead Gods for that. Uh, I definitely... I don't like scupper runs where I get a bad start, but I definitely have it in the back of my mind. Like, okay, there's going to be a challenge. I'm going to need to find something really big to turn this around. And it does get a bit to that point where you need a lot in your favor to be able to progress through the levels because they're very hard. So it makes a lot of sense that if you're allowed to break the game in that way, that they do have a hard mode. And I'm very curious. I haven't like delved into it yet, mm -hmm. but I'm very curious to see what they're going to change to make it even harder than... The final run because the final run already changes a lot of mechanics on its head you gain 30 corruption instead of 20 every time you go through a door um each of the three segments is an entire temple so you have to face all three of the final bosses in in the previous temples mm -hmm. in the in the final version of this run which is which is challenging it's it's they're they're not insignificant bosses and i do find myself taking unnecessary damage when i'm just in the wrong rhythm sometimes so yeah very cool game uh very neat challenge level it should not have taken a player like, like i like games like hades um and I, it took me like 50 hours to get to where i am at curse of the dead gods and i feel like i should have been able to do it better but i just didn't have the timing for the game ingrained so what are you gonna do yeah the timing from memory um, is a little different to a lot of like not in a wonky. bad way it's just no no, no just different yeah 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 um, um and it really but, rewards you for learning it like you immediately locked on to how satisfying the parry is 
and I was trying to not use that for the longest time. But no, for for this final run, I really had to learn to make use of it because you need all of the advantage you can get that the parry gives you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And just quickly, for mm-hmm. those who don't know, Curse of the Dead Gods is like a roguelike. Uh, it's very like all right, ink style. It's very like dark outlines. Oh, the art style. Yeah, yeah. it's it's kind it's of like darkest dungeon, isometric, um, and yeah. it's kind of like this Indiana Jones vibe where you're going into these Aztec temples and um, there's like a corruption mechanic and it plays a lot with light. Um, so like some yep. rooms are dark and you have to use a torch and you can do environmental All traps. Rooms are dark and you need light. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's how long it's been since I played it. Um, it was in yeah. early access for about a year and a half, which I played it during those first early access releases quite a bit. There's probably some videos. You played it initially when there was only one temple. Yeah, that's right. There yeah. are now three temples leading into a final run. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't so. gone back and then you talking about it. It's like, I haven't played a roguelike in a while. Like I've been picking away at Dead Cells. I think I've just resigned that I'll never finish all the Dead Cells DLC. Like I'm, I like that game I, that, a lot. It's a freakishly hard game. Yeah. Like, like that that game is hard. Uh, And I, I don't see the end. Like with Curse of the Dead Gods, I could see the path to getting better. It's like learn this mechanic, learn this mechanic. And then overall my gameplay will improve. Mm-hmm. With Dead Cells, it's just it's just get good. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's a very hard game. Yeah. 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 I can get to the end of like a standard, like no DLC run hmm. pretty, you know, not easily, but you know, pretty common. Consistently. Um but yeah. when I start to go through the the new areas, like I guess it's just more I need to play another 70 hours and I don't know if I've got it in me, to be honest. Familiarity. Yeah, familiarity, That Castlevania right? really DLC, rough. though, does, like, that's a crossover made in heaven, so maybe when that comes out, that'll pull me back in. Um, I just love that that game's been running for such a long time, um, and they continue to add really cool. new mechanics and new characters and that sort of thing to it. Awesome. I suppose we just very finish quickly, a pod- also- Oh, you've got more. Drop it, yeah. drop it. Very quickly, I'll just say that I also picked up Forspoken. I'm only about eight hours in. Uh-huh. I just wanted to bring that up to say it's not an amazing game, but it's mm-hmm. also not like... As bad sorry. as everyone says? I don't know. It's it's interesting, right? It's just people have this expectation of like a AAA title on the PS5 and everyone expects Ragnarok. The reality of it is that Forspoken isn't God of War Ragnarok, but I don't think it ever set out to be... And you know, it was heavily it was heavily marketed by Sony as a like a, a premier title, an exclusive on their on their platform. And Square Enix is publisher, and they're horrible with expectation management. So there's a lot of that. Yeah. And I won't say that the writing is stellar, but like genuinely, it's just a competent Ubisoft esque open world game. Mm-hmm. Uh, combat's a bit floaty for my liking. But, you know, there are things in there that I could see being good. I, I think it needs to be a bit more Dynasty Warriors, personally. Mm-hmm. I think that the game is good when you can just wade through large swaths of enemies. Um, I'll have to see what proper bosses feel like because, oh god, I forgot how bad I am at playing open world games because I don't tend to like this these games. But I thought Forspoken had an art style that was very interesting and I wanted to give it a try. Um, it's not as bad as people make it out to be, but it is you know, glaringly a mediocre AAA game, which is still good, all right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. a 6 out of 10 is still a good game. 
it's just I don't know. If you haven't finished God of War Ragnarok and that's your wheelhouse, don't jump for this, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Something um, about just yeah, the, tone, say. the tone of the trailers and stuff. Just not interested. And then you telling me it's it, like a Ubisoft game. Like, get it away from me. You know, it's it's very very open world. Yeah, um, and and it has a big emphasis on on writing. Right. Like I've only had an open world sequence twice, and then mm-hmm. there, a lot of the rest of it is just in hub town talking to people so it, it does have that focus that it wants to be i think it's genuinely just another triple a game that would have been better served just being a, a more linear experience personally yeah. that is a huge personal preference there like <laughs> big bright disclaimer i don't like a lot of open world games um yeah and i definitely got into this for the kind of narrative that it was trying to do here's something that is I know we're running long on on time, but here's one very quick thing that did surprise me about the game. The entire tutorial sequence for the game takes place in New York. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As in, you run around in New York, and it looks nothing like anywhere else in the game, and I don't think we're going to go back until probably the end of the game if we go back. So there's obviously a dedication to quality, but I, I always question AAA studios when, like, you do stuff like this of like did this really need to be its own sequence how much money could you have saved if this wasn't the design you went with you know like a lot of games fail at the design level yeah uh, if they have any shortcomings this feels like if if i were to criticize it it would be this that um you know if anything else ends up being lacking in the game i would very much look back at the beginning and go did we need that could that time have been put here instead mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. It's super interesting, but not a horrible game. It's not a like sub five out of ten game uh, if you care about those kind of metrics. Personally, interesting. Yeah. Well, I will leave that one to you. I'm keen to uh, hopefully bring it back to the show uh, next episode um, when we have a bit more time. See how much further back half yeah. at the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think that's a pod. I think we did it. We we smashed it out. That it's is. A little sh- a little shorter than we wanted, um, but that's my fault for poor scheduling. Uh, but thanks everyone for coming. It also coming went by. a bit longer than we. Well, yeah, expected. we didn't think like um, we were like, oh, we'll have three or four news posts, and then the E3 stuff dropped, and then the next day the uh, respawn stuff dropped. So this is supposed to be the dead time of year for news. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that means we're going to good year of games uh, coming up ahead. Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for watching. If you are here live on YouTube, if you're not, you can come over to youtube.com forward slash pixels for breakfast, hit that subscribe and ding the notification bell. Uh, we have some stuff coming up next week. I'm not sure which day, but blue and I are going to be checking out a bit of hi-fi rush live on, on the channel. Uh, I'm currently working on a zero sievert review as well. That will be going up sometime soon. Give me another two or three weeks work super busy right now. Um, but yeah, we're basically in between that. Uh, we're doing live stream and every second week we'll be here on Fridays same time same place for a podcast and if you're listening to this or you want to go and listen to it on your uh, device it will be on Apple Podcasts Spotify Google Podcasts wherever you get all your sweet pods uh, Blue is there anything you want to say before we uh, bounce out? Uh, it's a hard world out there everyone please take care of yourself I'm glad that you brought that back as the sign off. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching. I've been Steve, and I will see you in the next one here on Pixels for Breakfast.